Welcome to Refuge Radio. Refuge Radio is a podcast about the National Wildlife Refuge Association and the nation's National Wildlife Refuge System. Spanning more than 850 million acres of land and water and part of a growing network of 568 refuges, at least one in every state. Today we're speaking with Steve Jester. Steve is the Executive Director for Partners for Conservation. Prior to joining PFC, Steve was the Executive Director of the Guadalupe Blanco River Trust. Steve was on the staff of the Nature Conservancy for almost a decade, leading community-based conservation projects, first in Texas and later in Wyoming. And before joining the Nature Conservancy, he spent a decade working with state fish and wildlife agencies in Florida and Texas. Steve is a sixth generation Texan. That probably takes you back to uh, Houston, doesn't it? Yes. And uh, <laughs> he's worked with private landowners throughout his career and has come to appreciate their critical importance in conserving working landscapes that provide for both people and nature in the United States. Steve, welcome to Refuge Radio. Well, thank you, KB. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Yeah. So uh, I got to tell you, this is we're, we're living in strange times. I, I hope you and your family are doing well. We are. And um, this is our first uh, webcast or Zoom uh, for Refuge Radio. Normally, this has just been a podcast. So uh, now this will go out over our podcasting channels and will go up as a video as well. Uh, so you're likely to have more views and listens than anyone that we've had on the show before. So uh, I'm excited no to have you here. <laughs> no, no pressure. pressure. Yeah. So uh, I don't know, Steve, tell us what you do. Well, uh, my organization was established by a, a group of landowners that, uh, that learned through, uh, through experience the value of, of relationships and sustaining uh, both the ecology of, of the places where they live and work, uh, but also the economy and the, the community, uh, human and natural, in where they work. And specifically, uh, the partnership that really got uh, my uh, my uh, position going or my organization going was a relationship between uh, a rancher in western Montana and a, a biologist with uh, Partners for Fish and Wildlife program, which is a part of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services refuge system. And their relationship, along with their relationship with others in their community, uh, spawned the desire to sort of share uh, what they had learned in Western Montana to see if if they could provide a uh, uh, inspiration, uh, information, uh, not I wouldn't say a, a blueprint, but at least a, an approach that uh, that people of different perspectives that share uh, values about a place uh, can work together to provide uh, uh, provide a better future for all three of the things that I mentioned. So uh, that's, that's where we got started. And, and what we do is try to try to make that easier for folks to do around the country. Yeah. It sounds like if you've met one landowner, you've met one landowner cause they're not there. There's no cookie cutter there, but yep. the template is good. Yes. Um, I went to school at the university of Montana. So Western Montana is a place that's near and dear to my heart. And um, you know, I can imagine knowing some of the landowners that I know there, that building trust uh, is, is a challenge. How'd you go about doing that? Well, you know, that trust is probably the word or the concept that we talk the most about. And what we find is, is uh, if what is the, usually the biggest uh, impediment to building trust is, is having that first 
uh, honest, uh, open conversation uh, among the different perspectives and, and trying to focus upon uh, what they value in a place. And what, what we find is when folks do have that conversation where we're not approaching every encounter as a, as a zero sum game, uh, mm-hmm. somebody wins and somebody loses they, that multiple perspectives that share concern about a place. Once they have that conversation, we'll discover that they have about 80% in common. Yeah. And, uh, that's where we, where we, uh, the message we try to bring is that's where you need to start. It's having that conversation, learning what you have in common, and then uh, building outward from there, both uh, first a relationship, then a partnership, and then finally uh, working together to achieve those things that, uh, that look like success for your place. Do you think there's an opportunity in these strange times? I mean, you know, where uh, many of us are stuck at home and, inevitably have a little more free time. You think there's an, a, a space to sort of explore opportunities? You think people are doing some navel gazing and, and thinking about this, thinking about their values, if you will? Well, I, uh, I do know from talking, so I'm led by a board of, of, uh, of uh, landowners that are still on, for the most part, on and of the land. So uh, I, I think just from visiting with, with my board, uh, while there's a lot of uh, while there's a lot of concern about the uncertainty and the uh, of of there was a great deal of uncertainty uh, for the for the for rural America before this before this latest uh, crisis. But I think uh, talking to people that uh, that uh, amongst the uncertainty, they do. Uh, reflect on the value of, of the relationships and the ability to work with, with others to get, uh, to get the work done that they need. So I think the folks that are uh, used to working with, with uh, partners are, are uh, suffering a little stress right now because we are, uh, we are uh, isolated uh, almost coast to coast, I guess now. Uh, but I, I do think that, uh, that probably uh, uh, those that, uh, maybe you're not as, as, uh, thoroughly engaged are, are, uh, uh, thinking about how much their success is dependent upon the activities of, of others. And that's, you know, the, the mission of the fish and wildlife service, uh, the first three words are working with others. Yep. Uh, and I think that's, you know, uh, that's could just as well be the first three words of, of, uh, our mission statement, because it is, it is about working uh, together, and these times do make that a little bit challenging. Well, let's let's uh, riff on that for a second. Tell us a little bit about how you do it. You know, what's the strategy that you and your organization are pursuing to meet your mission and reach your goals? You bet. So, what what uh, what we have learned and what I've lived, I guess, is the fact that. Uh, most of the individuals that and organizations that are uh, engaged in conservation of natural resources are uh, very technically uh, proficient and technically focused on the the uh, the work, whether it's the habitat restoration, the species restoration, the nuts and bolts of of getting things done. And you know, uh, many many landowners are the same way. Uh, that's where they sort of start uh, when they uh, are are in uh, uh, 
in get first engaged in the land management occupation, agricultural occupation. But what what both what both uh, perspectives soon learn is is uh, that really uh, there's so many things that overlap into uh, different perspectives. Whether as a landowner, it's it's uh, it's working with your your county commissioners, uh, other your neighbors, other people in your landscape uh, as a yeah. part of your operations, or uh, as as a uh, uh, an agency uh, or organization employee who is very technical prof- technically proficient, but then soon discovers when they get out there on the land that that many of the things, if not most of the things that they do, require uh, partnering with others. Uh, maybe of the same perspective or in, in of a different perspective. And we're really not uh, preparing, training our, uh, our workforce uh, for that. Uh, that's something that you either come by naturally or you find a good mentor, no matter what your perspective, that sort of shows you the ropes of how, how do I, how do I talk to a different perspective? Right. And so that's, I think the communication between the different perspectives is, is where is what we focus on because that seems to be sort of the, uh, uh, limiting factor in many situations. I tell people all the time that, uh, you can't money whip or science whip relationships. You can have all the money in the world, the best plans, but you still have to have, uh, the ability to work with others to get stuff done. And, and I think nearly everybody that's gone very far in, in any, any industry, learns that pretty quickly. And it's especially true of this particular occupation. So uh, we work on, on uh, uh, through convenings, through uh, trainings, through meetings, trying to build up the level of proficiency and comfort really of, mm-hmm. of uh, what are essentially a, a largely introverted uh, group of both uh, landowners and, and, agency personnel to, uh, to learn how to embrace people as a part of their job. And that's, uh, uh, I only, it only took me half a career to learn the importance of that. And it's only, it's taken me the second half of the career, uh, to, to, uh, make, make up, uh, uh, my deficiency and skills to be able to do that. So after 30 years, I feel adequately prepared. So uh, we hope that that we can flatten that curve a little bit for us. for well, people we, in the industry. Yeah, we had a conversation about that when we were together at the National Wildlife Refuge Association's uh, uh, staff and board gathering just uh, just in February, I think. And one of the things you and I talked about is the importance of technical people uh, being able to just have a real conversation, to sit around a campfire or around a kitchen table or at a coffee shop in a small town and talk real with somebody and create a relationship um, that isn't just about the end goal, but about having a real relationship, caring, you know? You bet. That matters. And it's something that, um, you know, I think can actually be taught and should be taught. You know, you learn all these technical skills um, in in the advancement of your degree or in any professional pursuit, Um, uh, even, even those that don't take place in institutions of higher learning that take place on the street or in the field or on the ranch. And um, sometimes you can get buried in that and not think about how to connect with somebody who's on the other side of the fence. Uh, It ought to be a prerequisite to graduation 
to have to go sit around a campfire with people you don't know <laughs> and may not agree with and see who comes out alive, you know? Well, and I think there's a, you know, a, it's not a, it's not rocket science by any means. I think most, uh, most of us probably learned, uh, learned most of the skills that are necessary when we, uh, when we first left home and uh, I mean, when we were real small, uh, to go to kindergarten and had yeah. to start building relationships and friendships that in some cases would, would last a lifetime for some of us. And, and every time you'd go to a new school or even if it's in the same town, if you're in a bigger town, your classmates change. So, you know, we, we are, we are, uh, uh, indoctrinated from an early age on, on how to, on how to do this. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you're all, when you're, when you're a, five-year-old in kindergarten, you basically, uh, a lot of your perspective is similar with your, with your classmates, but the tools of, of, uh, of, you know, starting a conversation, uh, building a relationship over time and getting to the point where you trust somebody enough to, to, uh, to bring them into the things that are important to you and open yourself up. It basically the same, but we, uh, we really sort of train or, uh, the further you go along in your, in your life, those skills are in this profession anyway, are are minimized and, mm -hmm. and sort of uh, thrown in a bucket that people call soft skills, uh, or interpersonal skills. It's a grab bag for, uh, everything sure. from, uh, how to, how to uh, show up, uh, looking presentable to be able to uh, talk to somebody without, uh, causing a, an argument to break out immediately. So, um, it, it, I think in a lot of cases, what we find is that it's, uh, uh, a lot of fear and misconception on both sides or of these different perspectives, assumptions about some, what somebody else wants, what somebody else wants to do. And, uh, really it's a, it's a, it's an exercise in, in risk taking, uh, both professionally, personally, and emotionally when you, uh, when you open yourself up to that type of a, of a process with somebody that you don't know. So, uh, I don't, I, I, uh, I do wish that we talked more about it, uh, through our, through our, uh, academic training and through our early, uh, early, uh, uh, parts of our career to, to let people know it's okay to ask questions and to be, uh, not as proficient in that skill set because like you, I believe that, that they can be learned and, and I'm living proof. Uh, I, I tell people all the time wherever I go that I got into this business because I didn't like people much. I didn't like being around people. It's not, <laughs> I like individual people with the idea of being around a whole lot of people that I don't know was very intimidating. And I, I have, uh, I have overcome that. And if I can do it, I think that anybody can. Well, you know how you can tell an extroverted Texan, he looks at your shoes when he's talking to you. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, you know, it's, I think there's a, uh, connection to what we're talking about right now to what's happening right now as well. You know, in the time of social distancing, we don't have to be socially distant and uh, everybody ought to just take a minute and call somebody they haven't talked to in 20 years and just uh, connect or, or don't be afraid to call somebody you don't know, but you've wanted to chat with. So that's, yeah. that's my soapbox message for today. Um, <laughs> All right, Steve, you know, you mentioned Western Montana as the genesis or the origin story of your organization and your work. Where does the work take place today? So we, uh, we initially got our, our uh, start in the West, Western Montana, and built out from the West. And, and just a little bit of a, of a uh, uh, sort of 
uh, conservation relationship dynamic primer for folks that are that are not as deeply engaged. We've we in our country we've got a uh, if you if you draw a line down the hundredth meridian of our country uh, to the east of that you know, the Great Plains East it's it's largely a private lands landscape. To the west of that line it's it's more of a public lands landscape, and that's not just the National Wildlife Refuge System. That's uh, the Bureau of Land Management, the U.S. Forest Service. Uh, individual states have a lot more state land, uh, school trust land uh, in the western part of the country. So uh, the people, the men and women of the West, uh, whether, no matter where they work, if they're concerned about landscapes, already have, uh, you already have relationships with different perspectives, however functional or dysfunctional uh, they may be just because of your land. Your landscape is so uh, multi-dimensional, and uh, people have people have to interact at least. So uh, we built out in the West and and uh, and found uh, a lot of places that were that were using this approach and sort of brought them into the brought them into the fold. And then as we started looking east, we discovered that. Uh, you know uh, that while the the uh, land ownership patterns were different, uh, landowners are largely the same in the fact about uh, in the in the area of what they're concerned about, the different areas of of concern, the different areas of opportunity. So as we've we've hosted an annual gathering since two thousand and eight called Private Lands Partners Day that brings together. Uh, landowners and non-landowners from all over the country that are working in partnership uh, to achieve common goals. And uh, what we found was that uh, that the that the tree farmer from South Georgia in a private lands landscape, and and the cattle rancher from uh, from Northwest Utah in a largely public lands landscape, even though they were working with different uh, different uh, ecosystems, different types of agricultural production, different types of communities. Um, when they started having a conversation, they found that they had a lot in common of things that were challenging to them personally and, and from a business standpoint as, as being a steward of the, of the land. So uh, that's, uh, we've slowly been growing to the East, finding people that, uh, that are, that are uh, 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 interested in learning how to work better across perspectives, finding, quite frankly, uh, people that are doing it just like it's been done in, in the West. Sure. Uh, just a lot. The partners are different. The, uh, the, uh, the landscapes are different, but the relationships are the yeah. same. And, and the relationships is what we focus on. So I was going to ask about the partnerships. I would imagine, you know, in the West, you've got different federal agencies or state Absolutely. agencies, obviously, that you're working with. Um, have you found that some of the work that you do with one partner, say the National Wildlife Refuge System, then translates as a best practice for when you're working with the Forest Service or BLM or whoever the, the agency may be. And can you share those in, a, in almost like a toolkit for both agencies and landowners going forward? Yeah, so what we found is, is that uh, uh, there is a lot of, of overlap and uh, uh, the way we try to do most of our gatherings and convening, convenings that I, and our trainings that are, it's a little bit different than uh, than many entities. Is we uh, we don't try to do a uh, session just for the 
Fish and Wildlife Service or just for the Forest Service. We try to have multiple perspectives in at the same time because sure. what we found is that just the act of coming together and sitting around the table and having those discussions starts to get the work done while they're learning to how to do the work, if that makes if that makes sense. So um, there is a every agency, whether it's a state agency or federal agency, or in, quite frankly, every landscape has has its uh, its own culture, its own uh, uh, its own what we like to call social capital, which is the ability, uh, the innate ability of the the personalities that are there today to come together around around uh, common uh, common goals. But uh, but the process, you may start in a different spot on the continuum uh, as a, as a group of diverse perspectives that are coming together. But the process the approach is, is largely the same, at least in the coming together. And, you know, you'll, you'll run into, once you get further down the line and start talking about how we're going to get work done, then, then uh, really the agency sort of uh, authorities and uh, uh, all, the, all the nuts and bolts of getting things done becomes really a, one, a one-off depending yeah. on well, where you are. That's tactics versus strategy, yeah, right? The right, strategic right. tools are the same. Trust, stewardship, yep. open-mindedness. I mean, th yep. that's where it all is born out of. And then yep. you, as you navigate each process, you have to get tactical. Yeah, and we don't, we don't, we're not as good on that. We, we just concentrate on the strategies because the tactics are so – we could not be a national organization uh, and try to work at the tactical level because sure. once it's you get much. to implementation, it's too, too different. Yeah. All right. So that, that's actually a perfect segue for uh, my next question. Why do you do it? What, what's, uh, what does the world look like when you're successful? And, um, you know, where does, where does it take us? Well, you know, I, I think the, uh, uh, the, the why is that uh, the, the reason that these, that these uh, individuals started the organization and the individuals uh, board directors that we that we bring into the fold, uh, what they have discovered is is that this way of approaching the work that they do in their lives, quite frankly, is is uh, so uh, so powerful. So uh, uh, not just uh, what it can do on the ground, but what it can do in your heart and do in your communities that. That they that they are uh, adamant that that we need to be talking about it and sharing it with with other folks that don't think that 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 are that are only know the confrontational side of mm -hmm. conservation and not the collaborative side of of con conservation. Uh, several of them, are, I think, every one of them has their own origin story of how they got to that place. Very few of them. Uh, were were uh, that took that uh, took that viewpoint from the beginning. So sure. it's a it's it's sort of a sharing uh, uh, sharing that idea of of, of uh, things can be different and things can be uh, inspiring and things can be successful if you just if you just give it a chance. I think that's why they why they are here, and I think that's why. I'm here as well. I've spent, I spent uh, 30 years in this, in this uh, uh, line of work and 
and would say that uh, probably at least a third of those years were spent banging my head up against the wall trying to figure out how to make things work that people wanted to be a part of. And this group of men and women have it have it figured out. So that's why they do what they do and why I do what I do. Yeah, I think that's cool. I think you're talking about uh, uh, unexpected allies. And, you know, interestingly enough, sometimes I think we have some unexpected uh, challengers as well. Uh, I heard you use a term when we were together in DC, white-siders. And, you know, when I was thinking about your work, I was researching, reading through your website, watching your great videos, you know, asking myself, how does this connect to wildlife refuges? Now, the National Wildlife Refuge Association, part of our mission is, you know, protecting the landscapes that go beyond the boundaries of the National Wildlife Refuge system. And we, be we believe that's uh, utterly important because, you know, the, the wildlife can see the best habitats. That's how they know to go to the refuges. But they also don't uh, adhere to the boundary sign. So could you talk a little bit about what a white cider is and, and how your work connects to refuges? Sure. Well, to me, uh, the concept of, a, of a, the, the white side of, of a sign is if you've got an outward facing sign that either if you're a private landowner, it may say no trespassing. If you're National Wildlife Refuge uh, manager or employee, it's got a blue goose on the other side. If yep. you're State Fish and Game, it may have a uh, your state your state shield uh, saying wildlife management area on the on the outward looking part of the sign. But what I've seen, uh, it's it's not unique to uh, uh, to government, to private landowners, or to uh, nonprofit organizations that own that own land because I've I've experienced it in all places. <laughs> Even the in the Nature Conservancy, we used to call. Uh, call them feral land stewards that they as long as everything was going on uh, was great going on behind that behind on the white side of that sign the everything world was moving pacifico and and there are there are uh, individual landowners that that that's where they are right now there are people that work for state and federal agencies that own land that uh, that's sort of where they see the the end of their mission is is uh, at at the uh, at the white side of the sign, uh, but in reality, uh, whether you're an agricultural producer, uh, fish and wildlife service refuge manager, uh, a state fish and game uh, employee, uh, the things that you care about are dependent upon, and in some cases, more dependent upon what goes on on the other side of that sign, as right. as it as what goes on behind the sign on the white side. So. Uh, I think that's uh, uh, that's something that uh, I, I spent time as a public lands manager early in my career, and uh, and I learned pretty quickly that uh, uh, you know a lot of the management activities that we did, the species that we were trying to benefit, very dependent upon that larger footprint beyond beyond what I had to beyond what I had to do. So it's not a um, it's I, I don't uh, it's just a different. A perspective. I think uh, most people uh, over time uh, come to appreciate the fact that that uh, that that the other side of that sign is just as important as as the you know you may not have the same responsibilities on the other side of that sign, but what happens on the other side of that sign Matters. is important to you. Yes, yeah. and I think the 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 National Wildlife Refuge System, the Fish and Wildlife Service, 
has recognized this for a long time. Many of the, many of the uh, 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 refuge units uh, have uh, conservation easements as a part, of, a part of the refuge footprint where the service does not own the land. It owns a, sure. a, a, a set of rights on that land to keep it doing what it's doing for the landscape. Uh, so, uh, and then we've got, uh, you take the uh, Aransas National Wildlife Refuge, uh, the whooping cranes uh, uh, overwintering ground down here in Texas for many years, uh, you know, the, the, the whoopers stayed on the white side of the, of the fence, but now the last 10 or 15 years, they're making more use of, yeah. of that area outside, outside the refuge boundaries. And it's not uh, those folks down there are working hard to engage those communities that are as important to those cranes as the refuge is or becoming as, as important to those cranes. It, it would be hard not to understand interconnectedness and be invested in migratory birds, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> you bet. Well, and even many, many of our, many of our birds don't even, uh, you know, that the fish and wildlife service is, is uh, the primary management authority of, they don't even, uh, you know, they're multi multinational or multi, right. uh, continental in in nature so it's uh it really uh we are all connected and it's bigger it's bigger than any one place or any one person and and uh i think that's uh once you embrace that and try to use that as a as a positive rather than a negative then you you come to a new place yeah so what's on the horizon what uh what do you got coming down the pike uh will private lands partners day uh, be a virtual event this year? Will it uh, happen in real, uh, you know, face-to-face? What, what's it look like? Well, this year we are scheduled to be, uh, uh, the, week, the week of our event is usually a, a week either, either side of the first week in October. And this year it's scheduled for October 5th through the 7th uh, near Redmond, Oregon. So uh, we are hopeful uh, that, that by the time we get to uh, uh, the height of summer, that, that things have changed and we can start uh, uh, moving ahead with final arrangements for that meeting and have, uh, have it as we've always had it since 2008. But, yeah. but uh, that's largely out of our, out that's of our right. hands and, and we're, uh, we're, we'll be waiting on that. We, we, we are not, uh, we can, we continue our work as best we can on, on uh, outreach and communication uh I think most of my board directors would uh, would always prefer uh, sitting at the kitchen table, sitting across the uh, at the coffee shop, yep. having these conversations. It's just uh, you just you lose so much doing it over the phone or doing it remotely when you're trying to to uh, build that trust that it makes it it makes it difficult to start new things. So uh, we're we are. We are also simultaneously working on a rebranding effort. Uh, this was already scheduled for us this year. I guess we've got a little bit more time to uh, to do to 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 work on it, uh, to pay more attention to it. Now, uh, it was it we uh, had a uh, an organization that's got a name very similar to ours that has a mission that's uh, not. Uh, widely accepted as a good thing in the conservation community. And there's been a lot of confusion between our organizations as far as, uh, as who's doing what and who's, who, who, right. who is, who's who. So we are beginning a process of uh, changing to a new name. Uh, it, it'll be, uh, it'll be uh, announced later, later this, uh, 
later this summer, but uh, with the same spirit and soul, ideally. So we're, we're getting to spend a lot of time uh, doing a, a, a forced rebranding, so, so to speak. Uh, it's not real comfortable for us, but we feel like it's probably uh, in the best interests of our organization long term. I've been, I've been a part of several uh, rebranding efforts. They're always hard, and, uh, but there's great opportunity within them. So I, I wish you the best of luck about that. Thank you. Um, you know, I mentioned I went to school at the University of Montana, and when I sort of get a longing for uh, the Western landscape, one of my favorite places to go is actually to your YouTube channel. You guys have got great videos and great content. Um, how can listeners and watchers of this show uh, find out more about what you're doing and what's coming coming down the road at you? You bet. Well, we we do have a, a thank you for the for the compliments on the YouTube channel. We've been very blessed to to make make a connection, have a relationship with a videographer in Western Montana that really uh, gets the story that we're trying to tell. So his great images and. And our great, uh, I'm biased, I guess, our great stories do make for some pretty compelling yeah. content that, that tell a story of what we are and what we do probably a lot better than I can here during the podcast. So I'd encourage viewers to go check us out at uh, on our YouTube channel. If you just search Partners for Conservation, all of our videos are, are up there. And that gives you a pretty good feel about who we are. We've got a website, uh, www.partnersforconservation.org. We've got an active Facebook presence at Partners for Conservation, uh, and we also do a monthly newsletter that's open to uh, to anyone who's interested in learning more about what we do and about public-private partnership and collaborative-based conservation in general. We feature a lot of stories, uh, not just of what we're doing, but what others are doing, the great work that's going on all around the country, different perspectives coming together, building trust, and getting things done, and you can sign up for that newsletter on the on the website. Excellent. Well, Steve, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to, to chat with me and, and everyone who uh, watches and listens to this. Um, I look forward to checking back in with you and, and hearing uh, how the Planning for Private Lands Partners Day is coming along and how your rebranding effort is coming along. Uh, will you check back in with us later this year? Absolutely, KB. And I w wish you and, and everybody that watches this to stay safe and stay well in the months and weeks ahead. Great. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, KB.